Hello and welcome to Deep North. My name is Eric Pomeranke and I'm here today in the studio with Iceland Review staff writer Jelena Cirich. We're going to be looking at her 2021 piece, Building Bridges, Shaping the Future of the Icelandic Language. Both in Iceland and abroad, the Icelandic language is often portrayed as vulnerable either due to its relatively small number of speakers or due to some vague yet looming danger it supposedly faces from technology. Even foreign news outlets have covered Iceland's impending digital death, predicting that Icelandic language technology will fail to keep pace with global technological developments, and this failure will prove fatal to the ancient tongue of the Vikings. Yet, as the media lamented the language's inevitable demise, Researchers in Iceland were hard at work ensuring Icelandic would have a bright digital future. Now their labor is starting to bear fruit. Jón Gunnarsson, associate professor at Reykjavik University, is one of these researchers. He oversees the university's Center for Analysis and Design of Intelligent Agents, or CADIA, which is developing language technologies under the government's 2018 to 2022 language technology plan. The project entails collecting resources, such as text and speech samples, and using those resources to develop a grammar checker, machine translation, speech analysis, and speech synthesis for the Icelandic language. Surely it's a challenge to develop effective technologies for a small and complex language such as Icelandic. Jón doesn't think so. First of all, I refute the idea that Icelandic is a small language, he tells me. It's obviously smaller than some languages, but it's bigger than very many others. We're in the top 10 to 15% of languages by number of speakers. So if it's not possible to develop language technology for Icelandic, then we can just forget about doing it for 90% of all languages. Language technologies like machine translation require a lot of data to develop. Though Jón admits there is, for example, less Icelandic text available in the world than English, there is certainly enough to develop sophisticated language technologies. We just have to find it and maybe do it in a more centralized way than it was done for English, he says. Google doesn't share its language technology data with Apple. But in Iceland, we don't have the advantage of competition at that stage. We need to collect all the data in one place instead of having different groups each working in their own corner. That doesn't mean that there can't be healthy competition at other stages of the process. It doesn't pay to build three roads to Akurede and have them compete with each other, Jón explains. It only makes sense to build one. But of course, there can still be competition between the transport companies that use it. And for language technology, there can be competition among startups in how this infrastructure is used. Not only is it possible to develop highly precise language technologies for Icelandic, but we also don't have to reinvent the wheel to do so. We can learn a lot from how existing technologies that were developed for English have been adapted to other smaller languages. As Jón says, we don't have to make any new discoveries or invent new things. So far, Kadia's researchers have used language technology developments for Arabic and Finnish to improve Icelandic language technology. Of course, there is always some adaptation required to make existing language technology work specifically for Icelandic. As Jón explains, the words are different, they're ordered differently, things are said in a different way. 
Still, Icelandic is not as different from other languages as its speakers often believe. There is nothing special about Icelandic when it comes to language technology, Jón says. Of course, that's not what Icelanders want to hear. They want to hear that it's a very unique language. Certainly, it has some features that most other languages don't, but it's most often, if not always, possible to find examples of those features in other languages as well. Jón also points out that sophisticated language technologies are already being developed for languages much less related to English. As he says, We don't even have to look outside of Europe. Icelandic is much, much, much closer to English than Hungarian is. And Hungarian language technology is in full swing. Finnish as well. Jón admits it can be hard for the average non-techie to understand what language technology really is and how it can change our lives. What I've always found difficult when talking about this technology is how intangible it is, Jón reflects. A civil engineer can build a road and a bridge, and it's so obvious and palpable. Wow, they made this great bridge. Now we can cross this big river here. Before, we had to travel 100 kilometers in this direction in order to cross it. Now we can just drive over it right here. It's so tangible because it's right there. You can touch it and see it. The algorithms we're creating are just as much a feat of engineering as those bridges. A good speech analysis program is on par with the Great Suspension Bridge. The analogy is apt. The Icelandic language technology Jón and his colleagues are developing through the government plan is, in fact, infrastructure. A sort of road system for the Icelandic language within the digital world. This infrastructure will not only make it possible for Icelandic to travel there, but will probably create opportunities for the language that we can't even imagine yet. Once the language technology is available, innovators will be able to use it to create apps, programs, entertainment, and more for Icelandic speakers and learners in all sorts of digital contexts. It's difficult to imagine what the world would be like today if we didn't have the infrastructure that we built 90 years ago, Jón points out. What would the town of Akureyri be like if we'd never built roads to it? According to Jón, the team is well on its way to completing the first phase of the project. It's gotten us from zero up to a certain place, at least, he says. But we're still in the developmental phase, and we're going to propose that the project is continued. And then we can consider shifting the focus over to innovation. That has to happen as soon as possible, so all of this work that we're doing reaches users. Jón's perspective is not a defensive one that focuses on the preservation or protection of Icelandic. It's an active one that looks to the future, and that's much more exciting. If we do this well enough and extensively enough, then we'll be able to shape the future, Jón says. And that's the whole point. With the government's decision to take this path, what we're really saying is, we are going to be the architects of our own destiny. If the government hadn't made that decision, it's unlikely that global tech giants would have done much to ensure the digital future of the Icelandic language. When the Disney Plus streaming network debuted in Iceland last year, for example, it did so without any Icelandic subtitles or dubbing, despite holding the rights to all of the translations ever created for their films. It took a local campaign and a letter from Iceland's Minister of Culture and Education to finally have the Icelandic material added to the platform. Like all infrastructure, if language technologies for Icelandic are developed well, then they will become something Icelandic speakers take for granted, as much as geothermal energy or the ring road. As Jón explains, we call that the curse of artificial intelligence. As soon as you start to solve problems and new technologies come into widespread use, 
then we start to talk about them in a different way, and even take them for granted. If the language infrastructure works, it will become the pathway for all kinds of technologies, entertainment, apps, and support in Icelandic for users of all kinds. For now, the bridge is still under construction, but I, for one, can't wait to get to the other side. Well, thank you for sharing the piece, Yelena. Thank you. And so we're dusting off an older piece here, um, and maybe you could just quickly explain to listeners why the interest right now? I mean, obviously, language and technology are very kind of hot topic issues right now. Uh, but was there something kind of specific that uh, like made you think of this? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the Icelandic language is always sort of in the forefront, more or less, in, in public discourse here. There's a lot of passion for the language. It's very closely tied to the national identity in Iceland. Uh, and topics like teaching Icelandic to immigrants, um, just the accessibility of language education, as well as language education for children in Iceland um, have kind of been major topics. There's a cross-ministerial committee that was formed last year and just recently announced 19 measures to support the development and preservation of the Icelandic language. Mm. Uh, so. Yeah, t- I, th- I thought it was a good time to bring back this article about uh, language technology because even though it is in development um, for Icelandic specifically, and there are lots of researchers working on it, there are not so many products that have come out of this work as of yet that are available for the public and that the public is using regularly. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good example, uh, like this idea of infrastructure and like building roads and you know we are still using roads that have been built decades ago and you know maybe there's not immediate fruits that come out of these projects and yet uh there's possibility for these to still be relevant decades from now um and you know we don't need to go through all of them but maybe you could kind of just give us the highlights of what are some of the most important points from this new initiative uh, yeah, so the, the government initiative with the 19 points, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. to support the Icelandic language. Uh, so many of these points are specifically to support immigrants that are learning the language, to support um, Icelandic as a second language education. Uh, and they inc- include things like making Icelandic classes available during working hours, because we know that many immigrants who come here work shifts, for example, in the tourism industry, or they work long hours and it may be difficult for them to make time or have energy for Icelandic classes after work. Uh, So it's something that people who are very involved in Icelandic language education have been calling for for many, many years to make language classes more available during working hours so that uh, people who want to learn Icelandic are able to and have the time and energy to do so. So. That's one of the main initiatives, is, is kind of to make the language more available during working hours for people who are learning, um, as well to support preschool staff who want to learn Icelandic, because um, that's been very much in the public discourse. A lot of preschool staff uh, across Iceland are foreigners, immigrants, who may or may not have a high level of, of Icelandic language education. And of course, if they're not able to interact with the children that they're caring for in Icelandic, then that also affects those children's language development. And if we're thinking about even immigrant children that are in the preschool system, 
um, who maybe have two parents of foreign origin, they're not speaking Icelandic at home, and then they may not be speaking very much Icelandic in preschool as well, uh, yeah. which is very difficult for their language development once they enter school later on. Um, so initiatives like this are super important. Um, there's another uh, point of these 19 points uh, that aims to have more subtitling and dubbing in children's material as well. So there are initiatives also to support children's language development in Iceland, both immigrant children and children who speak Icelandic as their mother tongue. Yeah, and so this is something, uh, you know, like just this whole field of language technology, AI, uh, I feel like it's just changing so much, so quickly. Uh, even just in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of really big breakthroughs. I mean, like like the big thing is obviously ChatGPT, which has really just kind of become a widely used tech product very quickly in a way that maybe a lot of people didn't quite expect. Um, and, you know, so you work as a translator. I was just kind of wondering if you could maybe talk about like your own experience, you know, I mean, like, like maybe some people don't know what that actually looks like. And, you know, like for you, like what has actually changed about what does that work look like just in the last couple of years? And, you know, like maybe you could kind of just quickly walk us through your workflow on a project or something <laughs> like that. I think that might be kind of interesting to people. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I love talking about translation always. Um, so yeah, I do work as a freelance translator and I translate all sorts of things from occasionally literature um, to more practical texts. For example, for the city of Reykjavik, when they're trying to provide information in English to you know local residents who don't speak Icelandic, um, or for other public services, the library. Uh, I've done some translations for the emergency service here, 112, for their website. So um, all sorts of things like that. And I think there are some very interesting developments happening now. Um, I mean, I can I can start by talking a little bit about my process. Mm. Uh, when I, I translate literature, for example, I, I don't use machine translation for that process. Um, and I think most literary translators are not doing that at this point. Um, who, who knows, maybe that will change at some point. But um, uh, I do use dictionaries, various dictionaries <laughs> for Icelandic and English. And um, just there are all sorts of language resources uh, online for Icelandic that, that have been developed thanks to public initiatives that I do use, just databases that have, for example, common phrases and, and connect them based on their meanings or um, just Icelandic sort of technical dictionaries and, and things like that. And when we talk about language resources and, and developing language resources, I mean, these are also very important resources for the language. Um, the declension dictionary, Bean, you know, the, just things like this that, that are not maybe language technology, but are really important resources. Actually, um, it it, it's worth uh, just briefly noting that uh, just last week, as we record this, there's a new online dictionary that's the, that was launched, but it's an etymological dictionary. Um, and so this was like, it, it's essentially um, an online version of a 1989 dictionary. And uh, we can put in the show notes if people are interested. But, you know, I mean, I think it is just worth uh, highlighting that because, you know, yes, uh, compared to some other languages, Icelandic is relatively minor. But, you know, there is constantly work being done in keeping things up to date and having yeah. more tech resources to support the language. And, you know, like that stuff really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of translating 
sort of more practical texts, non, non-literary texts. Um, I do use uh, a software personally called uh, Trados, and there are various translation softwares available. And what those softwares do um, is not machine translation, so they're not translating for you, but they sort of allow you to set up text, uh, your, you know, original, your source text, as it's called, that, that you are translating, and then have your translation, you know, side by side, so you can see both at the same time, and they help you maintain the formatting of your texts and, and the links that may be in the text and, and so on. And then they also allow you to develop or use what's called um, translation memories, mm-hmm. which are sort of like living databases that you can modify through through the work that you're doing that sort of store how you've translated things. So if I've done, for example, several translations for the same client and that maybe have really similar vocabulary, like, like let's say, um, for example, uh, material for the emergency services website, which is about emergency response in Iceland, you know, has a lot of specialized vocabulary, um, but I'm doing a lot of projects for the same client, then I can kind of combine all of the translations I've done in one translation memory, which then will over time kind of store how I've translated certain words or phrases. Mm. And then when I input a new project, it will be able to automatically translate some of the content for me already based on past translations I've done. So technologies like that have been used in translation for many years at this point. Um, and are always becoming more and more sophisticated. Um, you can develop your own term bases as well, like build your own little dictionary based on you know specific projects that you're doing. Um, but these kinds of technologies tend to be used more for kind of practical translation or legal translation rather than for literary translation per se. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there are all sorts of different translation um, contexts and ways to translate and and, you know, we're not always translating something, you know, it's sort of a myth that we can translate anything directly, (laughs) I guess. Um, And, you know, we're we're always translating for a different group of people. Um, As a translator, you need to have so much awareness of the cultural context of of the people who are going to be reading your translation. And, you know, what kind of information do you need to add that may be missing in in the source text that is for a completely different group? So um, I think these technologies that are developing, they're incredibly useful. Um, and they can save us a lot of time and work, but you do always need a human at the end of that process. I mean, they're tools for a human to use, um, and, and, and you always do need that human touch in terms of editing and understanding context, um, because although they're very sophisticated technologies that are able to make connections and see patterns, they don't actually understand words and the cultural context that they hold uh, the way that humans do. Yeah, and so uh, Icelandic has been incorporated into a lot of AI projects already. Uh, you know, it, it's supported by uh, OpenAI. Um, and as far as I understand it, there was kind of like an initiative on behalf of President Kuzni, uh to kind of you know, have a little bit more support for it. Uh, can you just kind of briefly outline uh, what that was about? Yeah, so through a lot of these initiatives that the government has been supporting in, in recent years in terms of um, allocating funding so that Icelandic language technologies and, and infrastructure for Icelandic language technology can be developed, 
um, some of the organizations involved in that development, uh, as well as the president of Iceland, Gudni uh, Tia Johannesson. Um, he he in, sort of spearheaded this initiative where the the government and these organizations reached out to OpenAI um, about developing ChatGPT specifically with the Icelandic language, and I believe it was the second language that they specifically developed the technology for mm. and and with after English. Yeah. So that's a that's a huge thing for Icelandic um, being, you know, as as I discussed in the article, you know, maybe not the smallest language or even among the world's smallest languages, but just in terms of uh, the number of speakers in the area where where it is spoken, um, and just seeing that you know these foreign huge uh, companies can show an interest in Icelandic and and can participate in preserving it. It's it's quite a good precedent that I think was set through that initiative. Yeah, and it's also just worth noting, um, you know, last year uh, there was this kind of Icelandic delegation that met with different tech companies. So uh, yeah. Minister of Culture Lilia Duk Alfredsdóttir uh, was there. And, you know, it's kind of just uh, keeping contact and keeping open lines of communication with some of the biggest ones like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, I believe. And, you know, I mean, like it's just worth uh, pointing out that Icelandic is available on pretty much most major like productivity software. For instance, the Microsoft Office Suite uh, supports Icelandic. Um, you know, so I think that that is like a really interesting point in your article is that, you know, in a lot of ways, Icelandic really isn't a minor language. I mean, like it's very often yeah. talked about as such and it's kind of taken for granted. Um, you know, I mean, even when I was uh, kind of reading OpenAI's statement about the Icelandic support, you know, like the way that this begins, the way that it's framed is that Icelandic as a language is in danger of dying out. And like there's always this kind of... You know, I mean, like on the one hand, like, yes, uh, there are certain dangers and you know, like certain actions do need to be taken. But, you know, I think it's really important to also kind of get away from, you know, I mean, maybe a more conservative in the sense of like wanting to just protect and defend and to kind of be defensive and, you know, to have more a kind of growth mentality. Like we have this Absolutely. language, we have this, you know, actually really significant literary corpus. We have actually a really big body of text to deal with. Like, like what can we yeah. do with this? Like, how can we change it? How Absolutely. can we move forward? And Icelandic is still, I mean, if you look at the sort of official, you know, UN definitions of kind of what is a living language, what is a language that's endangered. Um, I mean, Icelandic kind of ticks all the boxes for, for kind of being in good shape because, mm. you know, it is the main language that's in use in, in public discourse, in the media in Iceland, you know, it's the main language of the government, of schools, education, so on and so forth, and, you know, literature. So it actually is in, in a much better position than, than people would often like to believe, or then is sometimes portrayed in the media uh, locally here in Iceland. On the other hand, of course, as you say, uh, like we do need to make sure that it blossoms within the digital world. And in order to do that, we need to create certain infrastructure, just like a hundred years ago, you know, we, we decided that in Iceland, we were going to create infrastructure for geothermal energy. And I mean, that at, I think that's a really good comparison to make because at the time, I mean, it was a huge investment, um, but a mm. hundred years later, it's something that's 
you know, saved the country a huge amount of money and also been incredibly profitable in terms of allowing us to be on the forefront of, you know, green energy uh, exchanges and, and so on. And I mean, it's something that maybe 100 years ago was difficult to convince people that was, that was a worthwhile investment, but it's something that today we absolutely take for granted in Iceland, you know, having cheap, abundant energy um, that is also relatively green and, and so on. So I think it is true what, what Jon says, it's technologies that, you know, that are developed and that go, get into kind of common usage. We start to take them for granted yeah. um, but they require that kind of investment and forward thinking uh, and it's a it's a huge step uh, in the beginning in the early stages yeah. uh, i also just want to uh, add a little bit of context to this and it's not directly related but uh, it's kind of been talked a lot about recently there are these uh, test results from pisa which is the uh, program for international student assessment uh, that recently came out um, and the results uh, have been rather disappointing. Uh, Professor Emeritus uh, Erikur Rukvaldsson, who like, uh, like often weighs in on uh, a lot of topics about Icelandic as a public language, uh, you know, called the results bleak or coal black. Um, and, you know, essentially it shows that uh, reading comprehension and a lot of uh, just basic uh, skills in Icelandic schools are significantly below uh, like Nordic peer nations and also just OECD averages. Um, and, you know, so this is specifically for Icelandic students. It's not, you know, as much about Icelandic as a second language, Icelandic for foreign residents, etc. But, you know, I think that a lot of I think it's interesting and relevant because I do think that at the end of the day, like a lot of the answers are similar. And I think that, you know, like at the root cause, like a lot of these are social problems that can be addressed in similar ways. Uh, Professor Rukvaldsson uh, has, uh, you know, like spoken publicly a lot about how he thinks that one of the most fundamental things that we can do to help support the Icelandic language is to shorten the work week, uh, to have, you know, parents spending more time with kids, uh, just giving people just that little bit more freedom to devote to their studies. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, all of these things are, are tied together for sure within, within the, the school system and just a labor market. Um, I think also just having a positive attitude towards Icelandic and I found it really inspiring to talk to Jón for this article because he had such a, a forward-thinking kind of uh, positive attitude towards all of this and, and, and he saw the solutions and he was working on the solutions and so for him it wasn't a, a case of you know defending and protecting it was like look at what we can we can create we can be the architects of, of how we want things to look for Icelandic of how we want Icelandic to you know, blossom in the digital world and, and in the future. Mm -hmm. And we're able to do that, you know, if we invest in it and if we put in, you know, the time and, and the financial support required. And I think it's the same with Icelandic in schools and Icelandic education for, for immigrants. I mean, we can, we're going to get a lot further if we build our efforts and put our energy towards it through our passion for Icelandic and our interest in Icelandic uh, rather than through some feeling of fear that, you know, and, and defensiveness that Icelandic might disappear. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, on that note, uh, thank you so much for talking, Yelena. Um, just for anybody who's interested in these topics, uh, we cover, you know, everything from immigration to 
the Icelandic language and all of these things on Iceland Review. So, you know, I encourage uh, listeners interested in these topics to stay up to date uh, with our news coverage. Thank you. Yep. Deep North is the official podcast of Iceland Review, the oldest continuously running English language publication on Iceland, covering community, nature, and culture. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to Iceland Review at our website.